question, how did the wise men know to look for Jesus? And we'll talk about some of the different ways that they may have known to look for Jesus. So we read this in the first uh, service, but today we'll read verse 1 through 12. And is there a couple of folks that would like to read for us today? Looking left and right. We have one here. And I can also read as well. Esther, if you would read verse 1 through 6, and then I'll read 7 through 12. Yes. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, diligently inquired of them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star that they saw in the east went before them, until it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned by God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for what we can learn from it. I pray that it would be a help to your people, and I pray that you'll bless our time in your word. May you get glory from it, and we look for your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, one little side point about the story is I want to point out that it says that they came and they worshipped him, and they brought their gifts to him. Why is that important? Because it specifically says they also found his mother Mary. But it does not say they worship Mary, and it does not say they gave their gift to Mary, right? Because Jesus was the focus, and um, I guess those of the Catholic uh, persuasion should be more instructed by that than perhaps we, but we do see that right here in the text. But the question I have as I read this is, how did the wise men know to look for Jesus? Um, Where were they from? And as we study and read and we incorporate other parts of the Bible, and we, uh, to some degree, fill in a few uh, gaps uh, with, with some you know, speculation or history or different things, it seems quite evident that these men came from the east direction of Jesus. So if you have a rough map idea, you, you have the, um, the ocean here, which is the what? Um, Mediterranean, there we are. Some of you are, are struggling just like me. Here's the Mediterranean Ocean. You got Jerusalem over here, 
Bethlehem is right like there. And it says, the, the men say, we have seen his star in the east. Okay. And that phrase, some people have tried to take to mean that in the eastern sky we saw the star in the east. But it seems quite evident and apparent that they're not saying they saw the star in the eastern sky, but rather that they were in the east and they saw the star in the western sky. All right. So when they say we saw the star in the east, the in the east refi- af- af- applies to we. All right. So we understand them to be over here. All right. If, if it was the other way around and they're here and they say we saw their star in the east, then it would lead them the opposite direction, right? It would lead them away from Jesus. So they were in the east and they saw a star. I used a star for Jerusalem. That was a really bad pick, wasn't it? We got to create our own star above Jerusalem. Um, so we'll just do a bigger dot for Jerusalem, a small dot there for Bethlehem. But um, so they see this star and they come. Now we'll talk about the star a little bit more a little later, but how would they even... Okay, so let's just say someone is looking at the sky, sky and they see a star that's out of the normal. That, that doesn't in and of itself say, like, Jesus is being born, right? You know, you have to have a little bit more somehow to get there. So the question that I want to look at is how did they know what the star meant? How did they have any idea that Jesus would be born? And so on, so on. So I want to um, suggest that the Old Testament has some scriptures that give us some some understanding. Um, I want to ask a couple questions that lead us where we're going. The first is this. What languages was the Bible given in? All right, we have a couple. Greek and Hebrew. And you said something else. Aramaic. Now, who spoke the Hebrew language? The Jews. Who spoke the Greek language? The blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of people that spoke Greek. But, you know, Romans, pagans, right? Hebrew was the Old Testament language. But there are two books of the Bible that contain language that's not Hebrew and that's not Greek. That language is Aramaic, okay? Aramaic is a language sourced in Persia, all right? And that's this area we're talking about over here. If Just for a map sense... Uh, this section kind of in here, right in between, is very desert. And so a lot of the conquering and the passageways and the travel and the life that happened in this region happened in a circular fashion like this because this area is desert. Do you know what's in this region today? What country is in that region today? Anybody? Saudi Arabia and a little bit of Jordan as well, which are both desert. I mean, they're just desert. And they didn't have oil back then. I mean, they did, but it was underground, right? So it wasn't getting them any money, right? So it's just a big desert, right? And you don't just place towns out in the desert. So you have this huge desert in the middle, and, and the more fertile, productive land is, is kind of up through here and then comes down through here by the, by the ocean. So there's a part of the Bible that's written in a language other than the Jews' tongue and other than the Greek tongue. And that's very peculiar if you think about it because, I mean, how many books are in the Old Testament? There's 37 books. We have two of them where part of the book is written in another language. Well, that language is Aramaic, and that language is this language of Babylon, Medo-Persia, that existed over here. Does anybody know what two books it is that has some Aramaic? Which books are, have some Aramaic in them? Guess. Daniel is one. Esther, that's a great guess. Esther was right in that area. 
Nope. It is Ezra. Ezra has some in Aramaic also. But uh, I bring that Aramaic point up because God saw fit to have part of his word in a different language than the Jews. And so I want to turn to the book of Daniel, and we'll talk a little bit more about Daniel here. Um, Where did Daniel write his book of Daniel? In Babylon, where the X is. Okay, that's where Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. Daniel lived almost all of his life outside of the land of Israel. And if you know the Old Testament really well, you'd probably say, I'm very aware of that. If you think of the stories of Daniel, that can help you, right? Nebuchadnezzar, the bowing down to idols, the fiery furnace, these were things that happened out in another country. So in Daniel, he wrote his book in Babylon. He lived most of his life in Babylon. We believe he died in Babylon. And we know that this book contains part of its message in a non-Hebrew tongue, that is Aramaic. And then one other quick thing about the book, the book of Daniel contains dreams, prophecies, visions, pictures, metaphors, right? It's a book that involves future prophetic events, right? I mean, there's some books of the Bible that don't have a lot to say about the future, right? Genesis doesn't have a lot to say about the future. Little snippets, right? The book of Joshua does not have a lot to say about the future. But this book of Daniel has future events within its book, okay? Within its message. So, We find Daniel in Babylon. We find him writing a book that contains Aramaic. And quick question here. Does anyone, I know I'm just throwing this out here. Does anybody know how much of the book is in Aramaic? It's a good guess. There's 12 chapters and five of them are in Aramaic. Chapters two through seven are Aramaic. All right. Now I want you to notice the section that we're going to be reading from in just a minute in Daniel chapter five is in the Aramaic section. Okay, so Daniel chapter 5, Daniel chapter 5 is where we will read, and let's begin reading in verse 10. Um, Is there anybody who'd like to help read uh, this for us? Page 840, yes, page 840 will be where we're at. All right, we have a reader there. Um, Let's have you read verse 10 down to verse 12. Okay, this is the uh, portion of the book of Daniel where there's the writing on the wall, 
and nobody can figure out what the writing on the wall says. And the queen, which we assume to be his queen mother, says to the king, she says, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, made this man to be in this special position. And if you noticed in verse 11, he says he, that his father made Daniel master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. All right? So Daniel was made to be head over this whole group of people. And this whole group of people is summarized with these four words. But they were, they were the group of advisors that would advise the king. And they would advise him, and there would be a variety of things that they would do. Do you remember the story where Daniel interpreted the king's dream? Do you remember that? In our day and time, that's very strange to us. We're like, you know, I certainly hope President Biden doesn't have someone where he's like, can you tell me what I dreamed last night so I know what to sign this bill or not, right? We would kind of be disturbed if that's how it worked, right? We'd be like, uh. But in that day and time, that was a part of what went on. There was practical wisdom they would give, but there was also spiritual understandings that they would give to things. Well, Daniel was made to be the head of this whole group, okay? This, he was the head of this entire group. And what we find is that Daniel was trusted, and he was trusted across generations. This is really amazing, but the whole kingdom changed, and he still kept his post, right? If you can imagine a whole government being defeated, overthrown, and a new government, and the, basically the prime minister underneath the king being maintained with the next kingdom, right? That's almost unheard of, right? Because you don't trust the old government people, right? But Daniel, he was trusted and he had the power of God. He had wisdom from God. And so Daniel had this enduring legacy. In fact, he, was, he served under four different kings, okay? And so he lived in Babylon for a very long time, almost his whole life. He was taken away as a child from, from Israel. But this term Chaldeans that's found here, some understand or give a meaning to this, meaning wise men. Also, if you notice, the first word is made master of the magicians. Do you know that in the New Testament, the word where we get wise men, do you know what it is in Greek? It's transliterated like this. M-A-G-I. Magi. That's where we get our word magic. Magicians is here, and that's through the Hebrew. But in the New Testament, the word magi is the Greek word, and that's why some people call them the magi. Daniel was made head of all the magi, of all these groups of people. This is who he was. Daniel was a wise man. If you skip down to verse 15, look at verse 15 quickly. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing, and so on and so forth. So Daniel is made head of this group. While Daniel is in Babylon, he writes a book that is not only in Hebrew, but is also in Chaldean. This passage we're reading from right here is recorded in Chaldean. That is Aramaic, I should say. Aramaic is the specific title. So he is writing part of his book in a language that the people of that land can read and can read for some time to come. All right? So this is kind of some background stuff. Now let's turn over to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And... This section is written in Hebrew, okay? Um, we don't know if some of the wise men of the day learned Hebrew or if there was translations made. Again, that's all unknown. But part of this book is in, in Aramaic. Part of this book is in Hebrew. 
Daniel 9, let's look at verse 1 and 2 real briefly here. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, from the descendants of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years of which the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would complete 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. All right, I'm going to erase this and give a quick explanation. Daniel was taken away from Babylon as a young man. He was maybe a young teen, maybe 10, 12, 15 years old, when he was taken from uh, the land of Israel and taken into the land of Babylon. Here in chapter 9, this portion of the book was written, and this, this occasion in the book happened, when Daniel was quite old. He is actually at year 67 since the destruction of Jerusalem. And so that means that he's reading, it says 70 years in reference to Jeremiah the prophet, verse 2. Daniel's recording and he says, I was thinking about things and I was looking at Jeremiah's writings and I was remembering that it was 70 years that God promised that we would be out of the land. And he's at year 67. And if you're a prophet who's supposed to kind of see the next thing, he's like, all right, Lord, 70 years, you know, let's go. I think he probably is like, take me home, you know, 70 years. And so what happens if you keep reading is he starts to pray. He starts to beseech God and saying, Lord, you said 70 years. Lord, what's next? What, what's going to happen? How is this all going to unfold? And look, at, look, if you would, down with me at verse 20. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have come now to give you skill and understanding. Quick pause. Gabriel is the same angel that appeared to who else in the Bible? Mary. And there's one other person. Gabriel appeared to Elizabeth's husband. His name is Zachariah. Zachariah saw, received Gabriel Mary received a message from Gabriel, and now here, this is hundreds of years before all this, Daniel receives Gabriel, and he comes with a message. I just find it a little interesting that it's the same angel we find later that's coming to Daniel now. And Gabriel says to him, I've come to tell you, to inform you, and notice verse 24. Listen, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Notice, 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 notice what was happening. Daniel was thinking 70 years. It's almost up, right? 67 and past. Daniel is thinking three years left. And the angel comes to him and the angel says, you have 70 weeks. Now, if that's literally in English what the angel said to Daniel, Daniel probably have been hopping up and down. Because, except, wait a minute, has anyone done the math on 70 weeks? That's, 52 weeks is one year, right? There's three years left. 
70 weeks doesn't work very good in three years because God already promised they wouldn't be in the land for 70 years, right? And you know what this word is in Hebrew here? The word week kind of throws us, and it's, it's written in a strange sort of way, but it's basically saying 77s. Like, um, I think a good example I've heard is the word dozen. If God came and said, I've determined um, 18 dozen upon you, you'd say, well, 18 dozen, 18 dozen what? You know, donuts, eggs, 18 dozen minutes, hours, right? But the, the literal word in Hebrew is just 70 sevens are determined upon your people. Well, he already knew about this 70 years. And what it turns out to be, especially as you read and you put it all together, this 70 weeks are not 70, like, seven-day periods. It's 77-year periods. That is kind of discouraging. Because 70 times seven years is 490 years, right? But notice what, verse, notice what verse 24 actually says. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Those are all negatives being undone. Then it says positive, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. All right? So three atonements for sin, three positive things are going to happen, and we need 70 weeks to accomplish this. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the issuing of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem to the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, I know we have some math wizards here. Seven plus 62 is what? How much? 69, right? And he says that these are weeks. So 69 weeks in this seven number would be 483 years. Okay? 483 years. But what does he say is going to happen? The street and the wall shall be built again, even in difficult times. And after 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end shall be with a flood. Shall be with a flood. How many of you were in the first service today? Do you remember at the end of Revelation 12, it says the serpent tries to destroy the woman with a flood? It says the same thing right here. And desolations are determined until the sanctuary and its end, oh, I'm sorry. And desolations are determined until the end of the war. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the middle of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the offering to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined and shall be poured on the desolate. We don't have time to get into all the nitty-gritty. But what I'm trying to lay out here is that Daniel had a prophecy while he was in Babylon that laid out a timeline about when Jesus would come. And part of this book was written in Aramaic. And there's this timeline given to him whereby he's looking at 70 years and God says, well, actually, until there's like a full restoration of the land and the city and the temple, you're actually going to have to wait 70 sevens until that comes to be. And he gives a timeline. He says um, it will be, uh, the timeline is in, turn my page. 
The timeline is given in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the issuing of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem to the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So he gives a marker of from the uh, command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah is in week 69. That's the distance of time. And then it says after the 69th week he shall be cut off, which is a reference to the death of Christ. So what we can do is we can use markers. We can use the death of Christ, and we can use the commandment to restore the temple, not the temple, the city, which we find in Nehemiah chapter 2, and we calculate out, and we get 483 years. My point in all this is that the wise men, in my opinion, had heard the words of Daniel. And they had an awareness about this 483-year timeline. Therefore, when they saw the star in the east, they connected it with some of this scripture. Now, I, I cannot prove 100% that this is exactly how it unfolded. But this is a biblical framework for certainly how they could have known that this is the time, right? Because just seeing a random star does not tell you that there's the baby Jesus is born, right? Um, and so I believe they're combining different aspects of the truth from Scripture with the star. So a couple other passages I want to point us to quickly in the Old Testament. Now these have to do with the star. So turn over, if you would, with me to Numbers. Oh dear. I don't have the chapter of that somehow. All right. It's, I believe it's Numbers 23. 23, 15. Let's get there and see. Numbers 23, 15. And it's supposed to say, and he took up his parable. Yep. 22, 15. Nope. 23, 15. No, 24, 15. There we are. 24, 15. All right. Numbers chapter 24 and verse 15. And this is Balaam prophesying. Again, one of the few prophecies we find in the Pentateuch, which I might just point out. The Pentateuch would be a book that the exiles would have taken with them, right? I mean, the Pentateuch was from Moses. This was the standard, the longest, oldest scripture. The Pentateuch certainly would have made its way over to Babylon. Um, when you think of Daniel and all those exiles. So the Pentateuch, this is in the Pentateuch. Numbers 24, 15. And he took his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, has said, and the man whose eyes are open has said, he who heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, who saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open, he said, listen to this, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall strike the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth, and Edom shall be a possession, Seir shall also be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he who shall have dominion and shall destroy those who remain in the city. All right, so this prophecy of Balaam, he says a star will rise. And he says a scepter will come forth. So he, especially that phrase, a star out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. 
So what we see here is there is a clear link between a star and a scepter, right? The scepter is the, the power of authority. It's the emblem of a king, right? A scepter. And so there's a star and a scepter clearly linked. When they came, what did they say? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? So we, we understand that they knew they were looking for the king of the Jews. They didn't just say, hey, we saw a star. What's it all about? No. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? So I'm of the persuasion that they had heard this prophecy. Now, another possibility is that Daniel had taught some people and other writings were written, right, that were passed down that were not explicitly scripture like this, but a record that, yeah, years ago there was this wise man and he said, right, so there's other paths perhaps for them to receive this knowledge. This is a path that is right in the Bible that we know God preserved through the ages. So this is certainly a possible path. Now there's two other, two other passages I want to point us to. These ones are a little more interesting because the timeline is a lot closer. Do you remember in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, he references a certain prophet. We just read it a little bit ago where we got the 70-year number. What prophet did Daniel get that number from? Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet gave the number of the 70 years, and Daniel references it in his prophecy. Jeremiah lived during this whole event, right? So he and Daniel overlapped in their time, in their life. Now, Jeremiah was taken to Egypt, which is before Babylon took them over. So Jeremiah would have been much older than Daniel, but they did overlap. And he references Jeremiah, though. And so what that means is Daniel had the writing of Jeremiah. He had it in Babylon. And he referenced it, and he said, Jeremiah the prophet, 70 years. So we know that Daniel had Jeremiah's writings. But in the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, uh, the book of Isaiah is even earlier than Jeremiah. But it is a more recent writing, a more recent prophecy, then even, it's, it's older, it's, uh, I keep saying earlier, Jeremiah lived closer to Daniel's time. His book would have been written during Daniel's lifetime or, or just before Daniel was born, whereas Isaiah lived prior to Jeremiah. So it's, it's a little older in age. And in Isaiah chapter 60, we find a few other interesting things that may connect with the story. Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen on you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise on you, and his glory shall be seen on you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather themselves together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far off, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and flow together, and your heart shall fear and be enlarged, because of the abundance of the sea shall be converted to you. The forces of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba will come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Now, is that not a beautiful prophecy? I find a number of things in Isaiah 61 through 6 that overlap or line up with the story of the wise men. And my point is simply that Isaiah is speaking of the kingdom of Christ. And when they came, they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And they brought him gifts, gold, 
frankincense, and myrrh. It, doesn't that sound like the gold and incense that's being talked about in Isaiah chapter 60? Again, it's very possible or even probable that these wise men had heard or read or had knowledge of this prophecy in Isaiah 60. You know, we don't know how many wise men there were, right? We all know that. I hope we all have heard. We always talk about three. There might be, could have been two. It says wise men, plural, so we know it wasn't just one wise guy, all right? There's no wise guy. There's wise men. So there's at least two, but it's, it's very likely it could have been four or five or eight or ten. And these were rich and wealthy men. They had power and influence, so they did not just ride off alone on a massive journey, right? They would have come with servants, with other, I mean, they had to make the trip back, so they had supplies. My point is that when they came to see Jesus, it was not an Uber dropping three guys off. This was a big deal. Remember when they came into Jerusalem, it says the whole city was troubled, right? The whole city does not get troubled by three guys in some corner market saying, hey, we've seen the star, right? But when you have this large caravan come into town and they say, well, who are these guys, right? And they say, you're looking for the king of the Jews, right? The whole city is troubled. My point in all that is it's probably a large entourage. And when you read here, it talks about multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba will come. They shall bring gold and incense and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. Lastly, which prophet did they not have? You're so close. You know the story. Herod told the wise men, where will Jesus be born? Where is it in the scripture? Micah. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Apparently, they did not know where Jesus would be born. Micah had written it. It was in the record. The Jews knew this. But apparently, these wise men did not know Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And so, when they came to Jerusalem, the, the counselors of Herod provided the scripture that told them where to go. Again, this is a little theory, but there is scripture that says that Daniel was head of the wise men. Fact. There is scripture that is written partially in the Aramaic language. That's a fact. It's a fact that in Numbers, Balaam made a prophecy that said, a star will arise out of Jacob, a scepter will come, right? And the two are linked together. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they said, we have seen his star in the east. We are come to worship him. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And so when we put all these things together, I think we have a Bible basis. Now, in the Christmas story, there's quite a bit of dreams going on. And the wise men themselves receive a dream for going home, don't they? Remember the dream? So God could have given them a dream. That's possible. Um, it's also possible that there was an oral tradition handed down to them and they've heard, you know, things passed down. But let's face it, Daniel, he was taken into the land around roughly 605, 600 B.C. So about 600 years before the birth of Christ, he was taken into Babylon. When he died, he died around 530, and I'm, that's a rough estimate, 530 or so, he dies. And so he lives over 70 years of his life in Babylon, he dies. So we're still talking... 500 plus years before the birth of Christ that Daniel starts doing these things. Um, so all that to say, let, let's make a, a little application and we'll be done. We'll take questions. Number one, God can expand our reach or our influence beyond what we could imagine. You know, Daniel does his thing. He lives his life. 
It's beautiful for me to see that some of these magnificent and powerful truths come to him in his 80s. He's receiving these prophecies. In his 80s, he's a very old man and God is still using him. Another simple truth I think we all need to recognize is that when God gives us light, we need to embrace it because there is more light that he will give, right? As we obey, as we believe, as we take in what God gives us, God gives us more. And I, I think if Daniel would have turned his heart against the Lord, God would have raised up someone else to use, right? And, and he, would have been, he would have missed out. And here, I, I think of these, these ones who went off on this journey. That takes some faith, doesn't it? It takes some faith in what's been handed down to you to take a journey like that. And yet the fact is, is they believed it and they got to see Jesus, right? So there's an important truth about pursuing what we know to be true and believing what God has given us. And also, when we talk about influence, there's influence across generations, but there's also influence we don't always see. Daniel did not certainly see the wise men 500 and some years later going to see Jesus. He didn't know that that was going to happen. Unless God gave him a dream and it's not written in the Bible, okay? He didn't know that, but there was still an influence. And my point is, sometimes our influence goes places we never thought of. And so let's just serve God and let him... Uh, do what he will with the influence. All right, I know this was kind of lesson-ish. I know this was kind of heavy on data. I hope you could follow. Any questions or comments? Mm -hmm. Yes. 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 Right. So, I didn't talk a lot about the star itself, and I probably should have taken more time. I know it's getting late, so that was probably why I was rushing, but the star, in my opinion, was not simply like a planet, a comet, a uh, an ordinary thing. And one of the reasons I think that is because it says that they saw the star and they came to Jerusalem. The star disappears. Then it comes back and it goes over the place where he lay, right? And if you follow that understanding, the star itself was not an ordinary thing in the heaven because if you follow the track of it and then you switch and go south, right? There's no way an ordinary thing could route in such a weird way unless you have literally a star that's maybe shining down and God's just moving it around where he pleases. I guess it could have worked that way. My impression is actually that it's more something in, in our atmosphere that was moving around and they were following it, but it was not like we think of a star out in outer space. So, little side note there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think the Bible says, I mean, the promise was made by Balaam that a star would rise, right? 
So it might be a little strange if it was only visible to three people, you know. So I guess we would think it to be a little more uh, visible than that. Right. Yes. But who who was the king? Was Herod a killer? He was a killer. And so all Jerusalem is troubled, right? And I think they lived under fear. And they just said, I don't know about all this, but I am not putting my head on the chopping block because Herod's a bad dude. Did some people lose their lives anyway? Yeah. So I think that plays into it. I'm not excusing them, because you're right, but I'm just explaining a little more of the context. You know, the Bible warns us about fear of man, right? And look, if Messiah is going to come, he comes in a bad time. <laughs> you know, he comes to rescue and to save. So if they understood who Messiah was, that should have solved their fears, right? But just a little more context. Anyone else? Yes, there were. Simeon, Anna. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mean at this time? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and technically when we get into Isaiah 60, I believe it to be a fulfillment in regard to the kingdom. And there are pieces of kingdom things that are fulfilled partly or, or doubly, where at the first coming we see it, and then at the second coming we're going to see it a second time or even more so, right? So I think people would bring their gold and their incense to Jesus in Jerusalem in the kingdom, right? And the wise men are just but a, a little glimpse of the broader, bigger fulfillment of those words, if that makes sense. There's a lot of double fulfillments because there's two comings, you know, the first coming and the second coming. So anyway, any other questions or comments? Okay. All right. Well, I hope that was a blessing in some way. Let's uh, close in prayer and give thanks. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the wise men who made the journey they did. And Lord, we don't know who provided the truth to these men, but somehow in some way they received the truth and they believed it and they followed it. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to follow the truth that we have. Help us to give it out so that others can follow it. And Lord, we just are thankful for the example of these men and um, following the knowledge that they had, trusting the scripture, or the truth that they were given. And may that be our story as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Oh, we better do announcements.